But another piece of it is starting from even further back. These students, most of them don't even have GitHub accounts, right? Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I would say like 50% of the students that we work with that are computer science majors don't have GitHub. Welcome to the Open at Intel podcast, where we're all about open source, from software to security to innovation and beyond. I'm your host, Katherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist at Intel, bringing you leading edge, free ranging conversations from some of the best minds in the open source community. Let's get into it. While I was at All Things Open, I sat down with Fiona Whittington, who's with an organization called Major League Hacking, whose mission is to empower the next generation of developers. We discussed barriers to contribution, valuing non-code contributions, changes in open source culture over the years, and advice for beginners. I bet some of her observations will surprise you. Enjoy! Hi, Fiona. Thank you very much for joining me. I know it's been quite a busy day. We are here at All Things Open. And I was very interested in talking to you. And the reason I reached out was because I find the nature of your work to be very interesting. But I will not spoil it for the audience. (laughs) I will let you tell us who you are and what you do. Amazing. Well, yeah, I'm very excited to chat with you as well. Thank you for having me on your podcast. So Major League Hacking, or MLH, is a B corporation with the mission of empowering the next generation of developers, or hackers, like we like to call them. We have a community of over 150,000 developers each year. Uh, So to put that in perspective, one in three computer science graduates in the U.S. is a graduate of one of our programs. Wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I always like to lead with that to give people a sense of our scale. Um, And what that means in action is we, uh, you know, help run over 200 events globally each year in in person, digitally, hackathons, events. And one program that I uh, am most excited about that we talk a lot about at All Things Open is our MLH Fellowship Program, which is a 12-week internship alternative where we pair students to work on open source projects. And it gives the students hands-on experience going from zero to one with open source and also gives companies uh, like Meta or Royal Bank of Canada or others uh, opportunities to get people contributing to their projects. I, you know, I, I really respect you know, yeah. the, the work that you're doing. So the open source world has evolved tremendously, right, since, mm-hmm. since it, its inception. And where we are today is a very different place from where we were 20, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And I wonder today, for this next generation of contributors, what are the barriers to contribution? Mm. The software world is far more complex and is becoming ever more so. Yeah. So I wonder from your perspective what you could share about that. Yeah, so we actually did a presentation on this today at All Things Open, which was open source insights from 11,000 early career developers. And what we did was we looked at our biannual survey data from the community and asked them what they thought about open source. And one of the questions that we had was, What are the barriers preventing you from getting involved? So this is actually isn't my own perspective. This is the perspective of students. And really interesting, one of the number one blockers that they reported was getting started. And that's interesting because while the number of students who report 
getting started to be more difficult. So while the blockers increased over the past two to three years, interest and number of contributions has is at an all-time high. So while students are more interested than ever in open source, more students are also really confused on how to get started. And it's not time or interest or anything, it's just lack of knowledge on where to start. Yeah. You think, I, I often wonder, yeah. wherever you are in, in your sort of like software journey, right? Even You could have been a developer for 10 years and never contributed to open source. Mm -hmm. Or you could be a, you know, a, a beginner. I'm wondering how much of it is just imposter syndrome, intimidation. Doing something completely out in the open is a little bit scary. Mm. It's not a little bit. It's a lot scary, to be yeah. honest. I mean, I've been there. And it, it, it is intimidating. Yeah. You know, a lot of my career has been talking about imposter syndrome and technology. And I think we give it too much credit, right? Okay. I think that students want to get involved in tech. And sure, a part of it is that they're scared to get started. But majority of it is tactical. Okay. So with onboarding ramps or with more instruction, we can easily conquer that imposter syndrome with more guidance. And so this like perceived like it's them, not us. Okay. Right? When yeah. we think about imposter, oh it's them, like they're too scared to get started. But right, maybe as the we're data just not showed, giving them the tools. Exactly. Yeah. That's what the data shows, which is, hey, we're interested in this. We want to do it, but we don't know where to get started. So can you invest more in helping us? Can you invest more in education um, and other forms of contributions other than code, um, which we also uh, saw from great, our data? Great point. Yeah. I think, um, well, so yeah, so you're the perfect person to ask this then, I think. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, you know, you, you, you're out there, you've got feelers out everywhere, I, I would imagine. Yeah. And you're paying attention to a lot of different communities. Where are people really getting that position of valuing non-code contributions right? What are people doing well there, and what are people mm. not doing well? That's such a good question. I think one thing that people do well in onboarding students is starting from ground zero. So, so many maintainers that I talk to who are so eager to get people contributing to their projects are like, well, do I need to write better documentation for my project? You know, is that gonna help? And that's usually like their go-to, right? Like, let me just write better documentation and that, that'll better help people get started. And I think that's a piece of it. But another piece of it is starting from even further back, right? These students, most of them don't even have GitHub accounts, right? Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Yes, okay. yeah. I would say like 50% of the students that we work with that are computer science majors don't have GitHub. And they're like s'mores and juniors. Fascinating. Yeah. So just teaching them how to use GitHub, again, you would be surprised how much that will just already unlock for them. Huh. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you have to community leaders as far as how to really show people that they are valued, how to in encourage, again, non-code code, code contributions as much as code contributions? I as actually had this thought yesterday, which is reframing what community is and almost using the term community less. Because okay. when we use the term community, that in itself puts an image of what that community is in someone's mind. 
So when we say community and we think open source, we immediately think code contributions, right? We think developers. But it's more than that, right? UX people can contribute to open source. You can contribute other things, right, that are valuable to, like writing documentation or reporting bugs. So getting more specific about the different personas of people that can partake in your project and not just labeling it as like a general community can really help people see the representation and aspire to it. And then putting the pathways and instructions on how to get there up front can really help people, um, you know, engage in those other ways, like reporting bugs and such. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, very important work, right? If you yeah. Have, you fix things if you're not aware of them. Um, so, again, you talk to a lot of people, I'm sure. Right? Yeah. With varying levels of, ex- of experience in the open source world. I, I perceive, again, I've been around a while. <laughs> um, I perceive a pretty significant difference in how people view open source ideology, open source culture, if you will. Yeah. And they, today, then, again, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I think the further along we get the, in maturity, the more mature the open source software in general becomes, and yeah. the more complex, yeah. I feel like the more removed a lot of us are from sort of the original I, I, ideology of open source. It is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Open source is ubiquitous today. And it's, for most people, it's a tool. It's a tool in our toolbox we use it to get the job done. Whereas I think, you know, in the past, it's been a little bit more of a revolutionary ideal, right? I don't know that that's true anymore. And I wondered, yeah. what, from your perspective, how that may change how people, the path to involvement in open source projects. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you say that because I actually started my career at Red Hat and when I was at Red Hat, open source was like the cool thing, right? right. Like it was the Red Hat thing. Like, yeah. It was alternative, exactly. It was and weird. It was, yeah, very like a circle of people or a philosophy, a concept, not necessarily a business. Mm-hmm. And I think that as more students get exposure to open source through their regular jobs. Hopefully, we'll get to see people interact more on a day-to-day basis. And instead of it open source being a community or philosophy, we're seeing people really tangentially apply it right to their work. Yeah. And once and now that it's more widely adopted into people's workflows, we're seeing more adoption and more engagement with open source. Right. Yeah. Now that it's more into on the business side and yeah. less of the community side. Right. Yeah. Career path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a career path for sure. And again, that's what the fellowship program is all about, right? Which is companies have open source projects and we have students who need experience. Yeah. So how can we merge the gap? Because they're both looking for what each other has, right? Right. But do you find that, that uh, people who are newer to, to open source um, have that same excitement about the ideology? Did, or, or is it, or, or do they not? I, I just want, you know, I wonder. I do think that the ideology of open source is a little bit lost on our generation, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I think, again, like I think it's open source has become more open. Oh, okay. Yeah, and as the definition becomes a little more broad than, and more open to interpretation, that brings in 
new perspectives and other people who I think previously were probably excluded to be able to be a part of the ecosystem. So it could potentially be more welcoming in that way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, when I contributed to open source for the first time, I was a designer and I built a wireframe for a uh, accessibility app. Oh, really? Yeah. And that was like cutting edge to do a design contribution, right? Because back in the day it was purely yeah, code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now that's, that's a normal thing, right? Like open source and design is more, is becoming an increasingly popular topic. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. When it I, wasn't before. I do appreciate, yeah, that, that it, it might bring in dip more and more varied perspectives when it's mm-hmm. not so rooted in a very specific ideology and a very yeah. specific way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So pivoting a little bit away from your current work, what are, you, what are you really excited about in the open source world right now? That's a good question. Yeah, I'm not or sure. Maybe, how, yeah. maybe put a different way. Yeah. If you were going to advise somebody, again, new to the open source world, new to, new to technology even, on where, where they might invest their energy mm. so that their skills are the most relevant to whatever you think might be the next big thing, what, what yeah. would your advice be? Uh, not to invest in your time in what's going to be the next big thing ah. because it moves <laughs> so fast. Uh, yeah, don't worry about relevance in the world of technology because again like it moves so fast I graduated what like four or five years ago and just the amount of you know evolution of the languages that have come in and out of popularity it's just rapidly changed so I think in terms of open source and getting started Hacktoberfest is a wonderful place to start and all of the partners and events around Hacktoberfest, which is running right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm a plug for that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, And yeah, I think like start with Linux Foundation. They have so many incredible programs um, as well for students. Um, getting, or if you are in an industry professional, getting involved as a mentor. Oh, that's a great. That's also great advice. Yeah, yeah mentorship is a, a great way to, well, frankly, hone your own skills, but also yeah do a little good in the process. Yeah, they have a great mentorship program. So, you mentioned the evolution, right? The, the changes you've seen just mm-hmm. in the time that you've been doing this, this type of work. Tell me a little bit about that. How, how did you start? What, what was your entry point? So yeah, it was at Red Hat, and I was uh, an intern there, and I had never heard of open source, which, you know, at Red Hat is like, like, you know, the most basic thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so core to their business. And I uh, read Jim's book, the former CEO, and I was like, oh, open source, this is really interesting. Like, it was an innovative approach that I didn't learn in the computer science classroom. Really? Yeah, no, not at all. Huh. And, and not after that either. The only time I had heard or been involved in open source was uh, during my time at Red Hat. Uh, never mentioned it in the classroom at all. That's that's a little disappointing, but okay. Uh, hopefully things have changed. I think well, it hasn't been that there's, long. <laughs> I have met with a lot of uh, professors, and I think they're trying to do more yeah, now, but definitely not five years ago. It was not yeah. in the classroom at all. Would it be fair to say that your advice might be for college students to 
create a GitHub profile? <laughs> Please create a GitHub account. This is not sponsored by GitHub, but <laughs> absolutely. I mean, the best form of education is exploration yeah. and hands-on experience. So just, I mean, it's free. So create an account, explore. Um, an interesting thing that I heard at this conference, which maybe this is for maintainers who are listening, but someone said something interesting about the velocity of how open source moves and how fast tickets are closed for beginners. So someone was saying that they wanted to contribute for Hacktoberfest, but all of the beginner-friendly tickets were getting taken so fast that they every time they would, you know, make a fork or pull request, it would be closed already. Interesting. Okay. And so, I don't know. I thought that was like an interesting that like a good insight, problem to have, right? I guess. Yeah. Well, the problem is that now there's tons of beginners they want to get involved with no beginner level tickets. And so, because everything's moving so fast, beginner level developers who take more time to solve problems aren't able to like get involved, right? Because the tickets are closing too fast and they're not able to have the time to actually learn and grow and contribute. So I thought that was a really, really interesting observation. That is interesting. Right? I, I would not have considered that. I, I've been involved in open source projects in the past where I don't think I was aware of that as a problem. But again, I had that's a very narrow view and I could see that it could be a problem in, in, in other yeah. projects. And you think about it in terms of work, right? Like with your beginner developers, you don't, of course you can do it faster to, than them, but you don't, right? Because you want them to learn. Yeah. So it's kind of like in open yeah, source, yeah, is yeah. there a way that we can give them more time and space to learn while also being able to contribute? Um, something to think about. Yeah, that is something to think about. One of the reasons I was so interested in speaking with you is because I think you, the work that you're doing offers this exact type of insight that maybe those of us who have who have who have been around longer or um, take certain things for granted, we just don't get to hear these yeah. voices, and so it's so important for these issues to be raised. So I yeah. really do appreciate that. Of course, yeah. The GitHub fact always shocks people at open source events. They're like, "What do you mean students don't have GitHub?" I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah. They, they create their accounts when they come to our events, and that's why our events are so pivotal yeah. for people's careers. Exactly. A GitHub profile is basically your resume today. Yeah, and the gap between the classroom and industry is just so wide. Yeah. Um, and very few you know, universities are right. really up to speed. They're constantly right. having to catch up. And it's so important to the sustainability of all open source projects. Right. Yeah. To, to have an up, up and coming generation of contributors and maintainers and all of those people, and so yeah, we got to help them get the start. Yeah, start. and and I think continuing the investment as well, just going along with Hacktoberfest, you know, not doing T-shirts this year. I think, like, think about all of the students, right, who are impacted by that. They may not have made a, like, the awareness, right, like the culture around Hacktoberfest uh -huh. is going to change now. And even I know they're like doing something eco-friendly and maybe my opinion's a little controversial here, but right, like for my partner, right, he still has his Hacktoberfest t-shirt. That was how he got into open source. And he didn't go into it being like, oh yeah, open source. I want to learn about that. 
He right. got into it because he wanted a t-shirt, right? It's funny, yeah. And students oh, no. are okay. materially motivated. Huh. Like, let's play into that. Let's not get rid of that because that's it's okay to go into something artificially motivated, but then go and benefit in other ways that are going to surprise them. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess can, uh, sometimes surprising things inspire community. Yeah, yeah. Inspire yeah. Action. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Fiona. I really appreciate you stopping by and sitting down and talking to me and offering up very valuable perspective. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> You've been listening to Open at Intel. Be sure to check out more from the Open at Intel podcast at open.intel.com slash podcast and at Open at Intel on Twitter. We hope you join us again next time to geek out about open source. <laughs>